is the Adam Crowley Show. Oh, no, 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 no. On ESPN Pittsburgh, the iHeartRadio app. Steelers-Ravens this weekend. Penn State, Ohio State, a lot of big games in the NFL and in college. Joining us now to discuss from FatJackSports.com is the Fat Jack. How are you, Jack? What's going on, pal? Hey, I'm doing great. You guys doing okay? I had a very good weekend last week, so everybody's happy. You know, I've talked about that college football is really the bread and butter, and it always outperforms the NFL, even though the NFL got off to a great start. And Last Saturday, uh, we got on track 6-1 and one, uh, with all of the, the selections. Uh, everybody gets exactly the same place, so we're able to actually talk about them in detail. And everybody went 6-1. and one. Our only loser was Navy. Uh, the winners, we had Miami of Ohio. We had uh, three totals to go under. We had South Florida under. We had Kansas State under. Miami of Florida under. Uh, had a couple easy other winners. So 6-1 and one on Saturday. Uh, on Sunday, we pushed for the top selections, but the opinions won. Everybody can go to fatjacksports.com. Look at every single selection that every client gets under the 2018-19 football selections, and you'll see that every client that's signed up right now, we have clients in all 50 states, are deep, deep into profit on the year. Those picks are text and emailed to you, so there's no hassle. You have to call in and talk to anybody. And the bottom line is you get consistent winning selections that will put you on the right side of the game. So, And I'm running a $99 weekend special for people right now. So if you haven't joined so far, do it today at FatJackSports.com, either $99 through Monday, uh, $4.99 everything through Halloween, or $5.99 football and basketball all the way through Halloween. We made over 50 games of profit from the Super Bowl through March Madness last year. So great time to get signed up at FatJackSports.com. Consistent winning selections will help you turn a profit playing the games against the spread. Fat Jack, I know you say that college is your bread and butter. When looking at the NFL, there are three teams that are undefeated, three teams that haven't won a game. So there's kind of a whole big mess jumbled up in the middle there. Is it harder now than it's been before? Absolutely not. It's only harder for the general public. I mean, uh, I, I'm the Sharks are, are doing great, and I'm killing the NFL right now. You know, I would say every selection's listed there, and actually the opinions – that we list the we did when we have a bunch of them, but um, we're doing great. The NFL is going wonderful. The games I'm losing right now are the games where you're going to have in-game injuries, in-game turnovers. Those happen. So if you lose those, you chalk that up as bad luck, and you're going to have some good luck too. Those will offset each other. That's not you, that's not a problem. Those even out over the course of the year, and then you need to put yourself on more good selections than bad. But the general public is going to get hammered. I mean, uh, most everybody had Alabama in college last week that's a general public player, and they're like, oh, New England can't lose two in a row. Yeah, New England can lose two in a row. Most of the general public had no idea Miami was any good. We knew Miami was good. I knew Detroit was going to cover against New England last week. Um, the, the games I lost last week, I had San Francisco. They lost their quarterback. And I had Cincinnati that went on the road after not turning the ball over and threw three interceptions on the road. But when you throw three interceptions on the road, you're going to lose. Now, the good news is, throughout the course of the year, we'll be on some sides where teams will go on the road and they'll throw three interceptions. That's okay. But when you play long-term and you put yourself in quality spots in the NFL, you're going to have some good luck and some bad luck. That's not a problem. You have to put yourself on the majority of good situations. That's how you turn a profit in the NFL. So, no, it's not, it's not difficult for guys that know what they're doing. The general public, yeah, they're lost right now. They have absolutely no idea what's going on. 
Turning back to college football, the game of the weekend, one of the games of the year, is also very relevant locally. Ohio State on the road, been impressive thus far against Penn State, who they struggled a little bit last week in Champaign until they didn't, and then they just blew the doors off of them. And I have Ohio State as a a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. How do you see that one playing out? Yeah, this is going to be one of those. I'm going to give you a couple of free winners because the, the TV games this week, are not great places to make money. I'm looking for things that I know are going to happen, not what I need to have happen that I haven't seen. Here's the problem with Penn State. Um, the, both teams have problems. Penn State, who's the best team they've played defensively? I mean, Pitt? Pitt's the best team. I mean, yeah. they've played anybody. And, 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 and so this is by far, even with Bosa out and the injuries Ohio State has on defense, this is by far a huge step up in class as far as the team there. The athletes that Ohio State's bringing to town are a huge step up as far as what Penn State's going to be seeing. Now, they have a home field advantage. They're going to be widening it out. They've got game day. All of that plays to their benefit. But they've replaced five coaches. They lose Barkley. They're, they're, it's a huge step up in competition. I don't, know, I don't know exactly that they can get it done against that type of opponent and I'm not willing to bet. Like so I'm not just guessing. I'm putting a bunch of money on these games. So I'm not willing, I'm not got confident in that side. So you say, okay, well, Jack, play Ohio State. No. Ohio State loses possibly the number one overall pick in the NFL draft in Bosa. They go down and need luck and turnovers to beat a TCU team that then goes down and get beat by Texas. I think Texas is on upset alert in Manhattan, Kansas tomorrow. That's Whoa. a tough spot for them. They have to go to the Red River rivalry tomorrow, uh, next Saturday and play at uh, OU in Dallas, and they've had a tough part of their schedule. I think they absolutely could go shoot themselves in the foot on Saturday. So it's a tough spot for them. So I don't know exactly that Ohio State's going to be able to go and overcome that with their injuries on defense. So it's a better game to watch than it is to bet. And making money is about knowing which games to stay away from. Like I say, I'm not going to tell you that I would have had Dole Dominion over Virginia Tech last week. I just know I'm not going to bet that game. I'm going to find better spots. I'm going to put my guys on Maryland. That even after the game week before, I knew they were going to blow out Minnesota in their freshman quarterback, and so I put them on on, on Maryland. Well, we don't even have to watch the game. So the, the marquee game on Saturday night is a better game to watch than to play. You're saying, "All right, well, Jack, that's a bunch of nothing. Help me out." Pittsburgh's going to cover against Central Florida. I'm not going to release the game. But look for them to rebound. Central Florida is a t- listen. I love Josh Heupel. He's a great coach, but you can't. Scott Frost left. They've got some holes. All right, Florida Atlantic. You and I. We could line up with the shirtless wonder over there running the show, and we could run the triple option and score on Central Florida. Florida Atlantic moved the ball at well against them, and Florida Atlantic can't stop anybody. I'm telling you, that team is horrible defensively. Let Kiffin has got to find some defensive players to come play for him in Boca because right now they can't stop anybody. Pittsburgh's going to move the ball. I think they'll stay within the two touchdowns against them. I also predicted Kentucky to win last week. That number's now jumped the fence. That's actually moved back to South Carolina. But early in the day, Kentucky actually moved to a favorite. I think they continue. Mark Stoops knows what he's doing. He's a very good coach, and they have athletes on campus. I think they keep that role, and I think they actually beat South Carolina. So there's a little two-for-one. The marquee game in um, Happy Valley is not a great place to bet, but you got a couple there that, that I think are better spots. Fat Jack of FatJackSports.com joining us here on the Crowley Show. 96% of bettors lose on a year-end basis, be part of the 4%. Uh, here's a game I'm looking at in the NFL, and the line is just shocking to me. Uh, Jets at Jacksonville. Jacksonville favored by 7.5. Jacksonville scored six points last week. 
Yeah, but, but they, they take the ball away, and you've got a rookie quarterback that normally will struggle against that Jacksonville defense. So, I mean, you want to make the Jets favored because, I mean, Darnold should struggle against that defense. That's where the, that's where the thought process is. I'm not saying that, that, that you're wrong. I'm just saying that's where the thought process is, that typically you get rookie quarterbacks that will struggle in that spot. Um, and so I, I don't love that. Anytime you're having to rely on turnovers either way, and I, I don't love that spot, so I would stay away from that game. Um, a couple of easier spots. I mean, look for Buffalo um, to exploit. Aaron Rodgers' knee is, is hurt. I played against them last week, and it was an easy winner. And I, I love what Green Bay is when he's healthy, but he is not healthy. And I don't expect Buffalo to, you know, Buffalo's not going to playoffs. They're going to win the Super Bowl. Uh, and, but with the change of quarterback, they're, they're competent defensively for sure. And I think that they'll stay within double digits. So I think it's probably a better spot. But uh, that game will be determined. Don't you need to look at the score in the Jeff Jacksonville game. Look at turnovers. Whoever wins turnovers in that game is going to at least cover the number for sure. Fat Jack, you mentioned Texas going to Kansas State, going to Manhattan, and I'm a big West Virginia guy, and I saw firsthand how bad I think Kansas State is. Uh, it could be how good West Virginia is. I'd like that. But you say Texas on the road there, it's a pretty good play, huh? Yeah, there's going to be two or three teams, I think, that show up on Saturday flat and, and shoot themselves. I mean, we're right now we'll look at, and this happens every year this week and next week, where you'll look at the scores and you'll be like, wow, I didn't see that coming. And this is the week. Um, and if you're not going to ask about your West Virginia team, it kind of alludes to that. I think Oklahoma State struggles up at, in, in uh, Kansas. And listen, Kansas, it takes everything I can do. I have an absolute hatred toward their coaching staff. It goes way back. I could tell you stories, but um, their recruiting practices are ridiculous in the Midwest. But um, I do. <laughs> Oklahoma State's in trouble right now. And so, yeah. what Texas Tech did um, to them is more about what Oklahoma State can't do offensively. They're inept. So I actually really like West Virginia yeah. on Saturday. It's a tough place to play for sure. But their their defense, it looks like it's inconsistent. But I don't think it's, it's, I just think it's bad. Uh, Houston hung a half a hundred on them or more. West Virginia is very confident offense, but they've got the stars, as you know. And I think they go in and score points uh, in bunches. And I don't know that Texas Tech can keep up. Now, listen, Texas Tech could certainly score offensively. There's no arguing that. But I actually think that West Virginia wins that. But there's two or three spots. Don't, it's not just them. Uh, there's two or three spots. Looks for Old Miss. I think that, that LSU's in one of those spots. Tough first part of the schedule. They go home. Certainly it's a night game, which helps them. But Old Miss, even, even though what happened to them against Alabama, LSU's a different animal. They're certainly a great team, but they're not going to score at the same rate that what Alabama's able to do with their quarterback. As long as the quarterback plays for Old Miss, that's another spot where they're dangerous because they can score a bunch of points. LSU is in a real vulnerable spot. If they don't play mistakes free, that game could be a lot closer than the line would indicate. Fat Jack at FatJackSports.com. Hey, really appreciate the time, man. Make some money this weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah, get signed up, guys. $99 gets you consistent wing selection. 6-1 last Saturday, 8-3 and three overall over the weekend. We're winning again this week. Free baseball is 8-2 and two this week. Those are absolutely free, and it's added profit for – and for nothing, 8-2, and two. go to FatJackSports.com. Picks or text your cell phone or email to you at FatJackSports.com. Get signed up today, four ninety nine. everything through Halloween, or only $100 more for football and basketball. Go to FatJackSports.com, sign up today, and win this weekend. Be good, man. Thanks a lot. All right, guys. Take care. All right, that's FatJack, FatJackSports.com. You knew that, though. I was watching the game yesterday, Penn State, Ohio State. 
and it was from two years ago, and it was on ESPNU. And it made me think of the razor-thin margin that all of these teams play within. And it's the NFL, it's college football, it's football in general, really, and Penn State is a talented team. They were a talented team back then, but they were 4-2. and two. They had lost to Pitt. They had gotten demolished by Michigan. And you're hearing from the national pundits at that time, maybe the head coach of Penn State doesn't got it. Maybe James Franklin's not the guy. And I think it's valuable to remember that. I think it's valuable to understand where they were and where they're going. And I'm not a Penn State guy, and this isn't really a Penn State take. This is a take about overreaction. Penn State was bad. Penn State was 4-2. and two. Ohio State was number two in the country. They were a great football team. They wound up winning the national flipping championship. Don't tell Penn State that, uh, fans that. Don't remind them of that. They know. But Ohio State was pretty friggin' good, right? And Penn State beat them. Now, yeah, it took a blocked field goal that they returned for a touchdown to go to the house to win that game, but it happened. Those plays count. You're supposed to play special teams, too. Trust me. Uh, I think Steelers fans know Mike Tomlin tried to trip a dude against Baltimore a couple years back. Special teams matter. If Penn State loses that game, James Franklin's not here today. They win that game. They go on to win the Big Ten. Last year, they were a really good football team. They're going to huge bowl games. So when you look at coaches that are hired, that struggle in the early going, don't just immediately throw them out. Not everyone's going to be Sean McVay. Not everyone's going to be Doug Peterson. And if Doug Peterson comes in and goes 6-10, and 10, if Sean McVay comes in and goes 6-10, and 10, you hired the guy for a reason. Uh, it drives me crazy when we get six games through a season, when you get half a season through a coach that was just hired, and you say, oh, this guy can't do it. Or a couple of seasons in James Franklin's case, and say, oh, this guy can't do it because he lost to Pitt, because he lost to Michigan. doesn't even look like he can play with them. And they go in and win the Big Ten Championship game, and they put up 1,000 points on Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game. I think I'm thinking of different years of when Ohio State actually won the national championship. But it doesn't matter. They got into the playoff, and that's what pissed Penn State off. You can't just give up on a coach when they don't do what you think they're going to do because it could be right around the corner. Penn State was 4-2. and two. Penn State was ass. And then they weren't because they had talent. They figured it out. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. That's not one of the games that we're picking this weekend. I will say this. If Ohio State wins, and I think that they will, they're the only team that can beat Alabama. If Penn State wins, they're going to the stinking playoff, people. Oh, no. They are. Pitt fans, I hope you get your head wrapped around that. West Virginia fans, I hope you get your head wrapped around that. If Penn State wins this game, they'll have beaten Ohio State. They'll be off to a huge 5-0 and start. They'll have Michigan and Michigan State to go. They're not going to lose to both of those teams. Michigan State has been incredibly underwhelming. You lose one, you still win the Big Ten, and your only loss is to Ohio State, or pardon me, and you had a win over Ohio State, and your only loss to Michigan, who is a highly thought-of team, or a Michigan State team that is ranked at this time, they're making the playoffs. So you lose this game, they're probably going to lose at least one more along the way, but if they win... They're going to be in, mofos. Oh, yeah. you just made so many slappies happy right there. Yeah. Tom disagrees. They're going to be in, though. You beat Ohio yeah. State, you're only going to lose probably one more time. You lose two more times, then fine. It's all out. Even but if they lose one more time, they're out. 
No, they're not. Yeah, you don't really know how the football formula works for the college football players. Remember last year when you said Ohio State was a lock to get in, and then I told you, no, you're crazy, Alabama's going to get in, and then I was right. Did Alabama have one loss or two? They had one loss, but they played in a superior conference. And Ohio State had two losses. If you have one loss in a major conference and you're the conference champion, you're getting in. Thanks for proving my point. That's Tom. Thank you. Thanks for playing, pal. Good contribution, Yeah, I really love it, man. He knows how to make the host look good. Coming up next. <laughs> I'm a jerk. The great unsponsored football <laughs> segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined, and that will entail me picking all the games that aren't officially being picked by me at the end of the show. You know what I'm saying? PPM. Damn straight. Sounds lazy. <laughs> You're lazy. Can't even take the time to put on a shirt. It's Crowley Show. Tweet Adam at underscore Adam Crowley. Oh, no. Finish your tweet. It's not, that's fine. Just give us a second. There you go. Hashtag it. This is the Adam Crowley Show on 970 ESPN and now on 106.3 FM. Live from the Carson City Saloon, that was Brian LaMartina and me, Adam Crowley. we got Bo Smolka coming up at 540. He writes for PressBox, and he covers the Baltimore Ravens as a beat writer. Uh, looking forward to that. We've been doing that every weekend, giving you an opportunity to hear what's going on from the other side. I can tell you everything I know about the Ravens, and I will, and I have. He'll give you that next step. So that's coming up in about 15 minutes here in the Crowley Show. And a good point with him, Adam, is that he has to write while dodging bullets, so he doesn't get enough credit for that. Danger City, Baltimore. Hey! Let's go to Paul Dog, 412-922-2874. I like your joke, Brian. I was just trying to move the show along. Oh, okay, thank you. No, oh, yeah, I mean, Baltimore is dangerous. Yeah, Paul Dog's more important. You know what? I'll tell a Baltimore story coming up in a little bit, too. Oh, boy, PPM. Yeah, it's not a great story, but it's a fabulous story. I should, yeah! Yeah, I undersold it. Now, nah, it's actually better than I thought. Paul Dog, though, wraps on Fridays about the upcoming game. Paul Dog, what you got for us this week, pal? What's happening, brothers? Uh, is it Paul Dog or Craig Wolfley? Yeah, well, that you know, I, I think that's my that's my Hulk Hogan. But yet, you know, I think Hogan stole that from the Wolfman. You know, I agree. I like how that went. What do you got for so us, pal? Yeah, so let's listen up, brothers. Uh, Baltimore. This is a big one, babes. And I got some uh, crab soup that I've been boiling since uh, yesterday. I got a little bit of those little uh, alphabet noodles in there. And I already got your soup all ready to go. Now, time to get it. Feel the drool. The drool of the beast. Suggs, we see you, buddy. Now it's time to hear me. One, one, and one. Let's go. Hey, yo. Now, this always reminds me of Halloween. Quite a few players missing or remain unseen. This is the battle to end all wars, like Optimus Prime versus Megatron or Dr. Doom versus the Fantastic Four. Oh! The Ravens, black and gold, the purple from the bruises of battles of old. Still ahead, Asmos McGahee. Oh, my God. Is that blood? Touch him to the face! Steelers at Heinz Field hold the ace of spades. Oh. Damn it to it. Going to put Banco in a daze. 
shout out those to that Baltimore B, a.k.a. the deflector, coming to the bird preaching that black and yellow. Now we call him the resurrector. How's that for expert tizzleism? Snoopaloop, the shizzleism. Also, a Steeler fan, call me up, we'll do an album. So you want, so you want to be cultural. Calling yourselves the Ravens for Edgar Allan Poe. Well, I got a better one for you. How about the Baltimore Ho? Baltimore Ho? Did you say the Baltimore Ho? Ho? Or better yet, I have a better one. How about the mother penalty on the play? Personal foul. Popping on the defense. 15-yard penalty. Automatic first down. Damn it! That's it. <laughs> Paul Dog, I, I have so many questions. Uh, do you write these down? Uh, now I have to, yes. <laughs> okay. And now it's a thing, huh, Paul Dog? <laughs> when you went Optimus Prime and you were rhyming up in that shiz, I was like, yeah, this mother bleeper is writing that down. That's okay. Yeah, no, oh, oh, it's absolutely. I mean, do you think I, do you think I write my monologue? I write part of my monologue. I mean, that's, that's the name of the game. I mean, come on now. Yeah. You know, all right, Paul Dog. Yeah, well, you're going to tell me how to freestyle all this. Uh, first one was definitely a freestyle, but you know. Well, Paul okay. Dog, you don't change a thing, buddy. I love exactly how you're doing you it. You keep it up. I have to say this, though, Paul Dog. Please don't take offense. I thought the first one was the best one, but I'm not sure if it was actually the best one or if it was because it was so new. You never forget your first time. Oh, right, yeah. I, I well, think they're, that, all yeah, that, that they're all was, great. Yeah, that was off the cuff. These are, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a little bit more... Uh, it, it, you know, it's like if you have the soup again, or if you listen to the soup again, you, you hear like you taste something different. Like, oh my god! Like I, I don't know, like a couple days later, you're like, oh wait a minute! Like I, you know, like Ding Dong, you know, old Ding Dong. That's, I, that's for Bell, obviously, right? <laughs> Baby I mean, blue and white. Take, Baby blue and Snoop, white. Doesn't take Snoop Dogg to, to figure that out. Yeah. Well, we appreciate your efforts as always, man, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Let's do this. You'll be good. You'll be good out there, Paul Dog. I'm almost thinking of reclassifying what he does as slam poetry. It is slam poetry. And and I like it for that. I'm not criticizing in any way. I just think we need to readjust that to what it actually is, and that's slam poetry. That's badass, Paul Dog. I think that's spot on, Brian. We should actually just start snapping for him whenever he's done. Yes, there are some snaps out. Oh, yeah, I love it. Love it. Mike tweets at underscore Adam Crowley. That was rough till the ref part. Look, you can't judge a team like Penn State when they're four and two. You got to judge the full body of work. And I think just like that, you got to judge Paul Dog's full body of work. You can't punt at the beginning portion of the slam poetry. You got to wait till the end to snap, you mother trucker. Yeah, he's it building up to these things. Yeah, Jeez. it goes back to what you were saying, Crowley, about Franklin. Is you don't judge too early. You Look don't. At this four and two, and now here they are. You, you don't judge early. And Paul Dog is playing a full season on these raps. So he may have some bad games in between there, but you're getting some gems and some big wins as it goes along, with the, which was apparent with the ref bit. Now, transparency, of course, being the number one virtue of the Crowley show, do we have Paul Dog's number, Tom? Is, is this a guy we can reach? Yes, we do. Okay, that's very good, because I'm worried that one day he's going to break his leg or something and just not show up. I had that up. same concern, so we, we've covered our bases on that. That's yeah, I think, it's a, I think it's an unwritten rule, and Paul Dog he needs to accept this, is that he is now a part of the Crowley Show. Yeah, it's time. 
So he has an obligation to come and bring it every week. I mean, I, we job. appreciate it, but that's how it is now. Look, here's the reality. We have a number of characters on the Crowley show. We have Shirtless Tom. We have Dead Harry Carey. He comes out of the grave only for this show. Nowhere else in the country will you find Harry Carey speaking on the radio. In fact, we have to channel the dead to make that happen, so you don't see that. A lot tougher than it sounds. It really is. Really impressive. Stat Pat hasn't been around in a long time, but of course he's a huge character, I think, on the Crowley show. Does a lot show. of behind-the-scenes work. He does. I mean, do you think that I knew that Antonio Brown averages 150 <laughs> yards per game uh, whenever Jimmy Smith's not playing and only 60 when Jimmy Smith is playing? No, it's totally stat pat and then of course i think the best character on the crowley show is the defector brian lamartino yeah i'm the defector now i got uh, a nickname out of that one it's who you are i was happy paul dog made me happy with that paul dog loves you man the baltimore b yeah i'm the baltimore b the defector you are which one's cooler the baltimore b or the defector i don't know i think you got to roll both of them but it's just when you roll them you know like late at night with the ladies i'm the defector like you watch out, ladies. I'm the defector. If your last here. name was Brian Dalmartine, you'd be the Baltimore D, and that probably worked better for the ladies. Or it would work out worse for me, depending how that night went. That's true. Should I tell my Baltimore story now or save it for later in the program? I say tell it now. I'm going to tell it now. It's not a great story, but it is tremendous. Did I undersell it and oversell it well enough there? Okay, here yeah, we go. Absolutely. I was going to Baltimore for a wedding couple months ago and we drive in the gps is like yeah go this way i said okay i trust technology no matter what i don't care what technology tells me i'm doing it i'm not gonna second guess it i'm like michael scott in the office things are great just by that statement i know you're visiting baltimore (laughs) i wound up in an episode of the wire of course you did i was an extra and a great one at that you can call me jimmy friggin mcnulty and we're in this portion of Baltimore, right outside of Coppin State, mm-hmm. where my ba- Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Baltimore Bee, he uh, knows. Yeah, I know don't go there at night. It's not a safe place <laughs> for the crown man. The crown man driving in with his Mount Lebanon front license yeah, plate. They don't even have cops there. They have these lights in the air, like around the around the traffic lights that spin like a cop light. They're like, hey, cops won't even go here, but we're going to put these lights here just in case. That's how I knew we were in trouble, because there are blue lights spinning on oh, top so yeah. of every single <laughs> yeah. traffic light. Yep. And the problem was half of them were busted in. So I thought, okay, this isn't good. We're not in a good spot. And... We were meeting friends out there who obviously were getting married, so they've lived in the Baltimore area for a long time now. And when we told them where we were, they said there were three (laughs) murders the night before that were each deemed to be unrelated. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like somebody popped three guys, which is awful. It was one guy pops this guy, one guy pops that guy, one guy pops that guy. We're driving by, and it wasn't until we got maybe six blocks past where I saw a woman walking her... uh, child in a stroller where I thought, okay, we're good. She wouldn't be be that dumb, right? So we're okay. That's what got me to watch The Wire. I was so fascinated because Pittsburgh's got its bad areas. There's no question about it. But I'm driving through that area in Baltimore, and I'm thinking, this is so foreign to me. I've got to watch The Wire. i got to learn. Yeah, it's educational. And here's two things I learned growing up. Like When I was growing up, I thought two things were constant until I left Baltimore. One was that you say, oh, really loud at every national anthem. Oh! And then the second thing was I thought everybody had to walk over a dead body getting out of a bar at night. I really did. I, mean, I thought that was a, I thought like this was nothing like strange to Baltimore. I move out of town, people look at me like I'm crazy. Like, no, I literally had to walk over a body with a bag over it 
and walk around cops oh, to get to my car. There and w- on multiple occasions. It's not one night. We saw graffiti that said, I don't remember the name. It was like, Nick killed here. Mm-hmm. No shoot zone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The no shoot zones are great. They're so good. Someone was shot here, so we can't shoot anybody else here. Okay, great. This is fabulous. Yeah, yeah. But they move. So, like, once, like, somebody else gets shot, that becomes a no shoot zone. Then the old no shoot zone, that's open game. You got to go back. Yeah. It's dangerous town. Really is. When we come back. I know I skipped the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by Do Be Determined. We'll do that at 6. We'll also make fun of Tom. There's something I need to get to with him Ooh. coming up at 6 o'clock, too. But next, it's Bo Smolka. He covers the Ravens for the pressbox.com. We'll hear from him next, his scouting report. You're listening to The Crowley Show. Baby blue and white. Baby blue and white. Baby blue and white. Oh, that doesn't even sound right, right? Ding dong. Touchdown. Listeners love Adam Crowley. Just between you and me, I believe you're fat, ugly, dumb, and gutless. Just personal opinion. The Adam Crowley Show. When you're done with your program, we can discuss this out in the parking lot. I mean, you're you're a tough guy. On ESPN Pittsburgh. Did you say the Baltimore ho? Ho? Or better yet, I have a better one. How about the mother... (laughs) Penalty on the play. Personal foul. Popping on the defense. 15-yard penalty. Automatic first down. It's Ravens week, as Mike Tomlin so finally says. AFC North football. And joining us now to discuss is Bo Smolka from Pressbox Covers the Ravens. Uh, Bo, thank you so much for taking the time today. Uh, you're welcome. My pleasure. Bo, the Ravens offense uh, putting up 32 points a game. Sustainable? Uh, I don't know about sustainable, but it's a better offense than it's been the past few years. I don't think there's any question about that. They have more ways to score. They're better at the receiver position, and they've been very efficient. They're the first team in NFL history to go 12 for 12 on their first 12 trips to the red zone. Every time they've gotten inside the 20, though, so far this year, They've scored a touchdown. I don't think that's sustainable. But their ability to score is notably improved from where it was last year based on some improvements they've made with this offense. Is Joe Flacco playing better because he's playing better, or is Joe Flacco playing better because they've surrounded him with better weapons? Uh, It's a combination of them surrounding him with better weapons and him being significantly healthier than he's been the past few years. You may recall last year he missed. He played all the games, but he missed all of training camp with a back injury. And when he came back, he didn't quite look right. They're not going to ever say that that was a reason, but he really looked, frankly, quite poor for the first half of the year. It picked up notably over the second half of the year. Um, he's looked healthy all through OTAs all summer. He's moving better. He's throwing better. I think his health is a significant factor. But, again, as you referred to, they've totally upgraded the receiver position. Uh, a bunch of guys are gone. Mike Wallace is gone. Jeremy Macklin's gone. Uh, Michael Campanero is gone. Rashad Perriman is gone. Uh, and they've brought in Michael Crabtree. They've brought in John Brown. They've brought in Willie Sneed as, like, the top three receivers. And all three of those guys are contributing in different ways. They drafted two rookie tight ends, one of whom, Hayden Hurst, the first-round pick, is hurt. But Mark Andrews, a third-round pick, who's almost 
He's more of a slot receiver than an actual, like, in-the-turf-blocking tight end, but he's made some big catches. So it's a combination of both to me, him being healthy and him having better players to play with, basically. How does the Lamar Jackson situation play into it? Extra motivation there? I mean, I, probably, I think probably. Uh, that's certainly what people have talked about. And I know for the first month or so of training camp, a lot of people tried to drum up a quarterback controversy going on here. When you watch them day in and day out, Flacco is significantly better as a quarterback. Mm. In fact, if Flacco were to miss games right now, I think Robert Griffin III would become the starting quarterback. Wow. Um, I think Jackson is the number three quarterback based on his ability to throw, which still needs a lot of work. Having said that, every game so far they've activated two quarterbacks, and it's been Flacco and Jackson because Jackson gets on the field. He gets on the field in decoy situations. He has played a, played a couple plays. I mean, played the, in the blowout win over Buffalo, he got some time at quarterback. But you will see Jackson on the field for five or six or seven snaps it might be. He'll play. So he'll line up as a wide receiver and come in motion. He might line up at running back. There was one play where he lined up at quarterback and Flacco was at wide receiver. I think the the Ravens like to kind of have it in their pocket to make teams worry about it. Um, so, Jacks, I think certainly the drafting a first round quarterback is going to motivate your current quarterback. I don't think there's any question about that. I personally don't think that's the biggest reason Flacco is better. Mm-hmm. I think Flacco is healthier. He's got better players. But Lamar Jackson is definitely a wrinkle. I don't know if you got to see the um, the touchdown Alex Collins scored against the Broncos. Jackson was on the field. He came in motion. Then he went in motion the other way. And you could see the Denver defense clearly accounting for him. And then they ran misdirection to Alex Collins. And clearly some focus was on Jackson. Collins got a big hole up the middle. And that's kind of what they're hoping to see from him right now. I think that's what he'll bring. And I, like I said, I don't think he's even their second-best quarterback right now, but I do think he will play in the game, you know, even just a handful of snaps. It's, it's an interesting twist that this offense has right now. Bo Smolka from Press Box joining us here on the Crowley Show talking Steelers-Ravens. I'd imagine the Ravens have to have a lot of confidence. They've had some success in Heinz Field throughout the years with Joe Flacco. Last year, the Ravens' offense wasn't good, and they put up 38 points and had the game, it seemed, in control for a little while against the Steelers here at Heinz Field. What gives them such confidence to be able to come in here on the road and perform like that? You know, I think they really, I think they really love playing at Heinz Field. I think they really relish... The enemy role, I think they love the vibe. I talked to five or six players this week, and I asked them about their favorite places to play, and every single one of them said it was Heinz Field. They love the atmosphere there. They love getting booed. They love having everyone against them. It's just there's so much energy when these two teams play each other. But I will say this. The offense did put up the numbers last year. But, look, they gave, they gave up 39 points. <laughs> right. And if you remember, two years ago, Christmas night, the Ravens thought they had that game won. And then the Steelers scored on the touchdown pass to Antonio Brown with, like, nine seconds left. So this is a team that, yeah, they've played well up there. And Joe Flacco has won a playoff game there. He's played some of his best games there, actually. In, interestingly enough, he seems to play much better at Pittsburgh than he does at Cincinnati, where he has almost never played well. Um but they love playing there. They really relish it, but it's a team that also is, quite frankly, a little bit angry about how the last two games up there have gone because they've taken leads into the fourth quarter in both of them and then not been able to hold them. So that's also certainly on their mind going up there this week. 
But moving away from the football element of it and kind of just getting a feel of the town, does it still get the people going, Steelers-Ravens, the way it used to? I mean, obviously no Ray Lewis, uh, Joey Porter's on the sideline, he's not out there on the field or trying to jump into the Ravens' bus, uh, Heinz Ward's not there, but does the town still have the same sort of uh, vitriol that they want to throw towards the way of Steelers? I think they do. Um, and, yeah, some of the great villains of the rivalry are gone. Um, you know, around here, certainly they still don't like Ben Roethlisberger. And I know in Pittsburgh they don't like Terrell Suggs, and that's all healthy for the rivalry. To be honest, the, the, the team itself, you know, this team has gone 41-41 and 41, or 42-41 and 41 since winning the Super Bowl. Um, there had been something of an apathy around this team last year, particularly a lot of fans here were quite angry at this team for – the kneeling in London on the national anthem, that was kind of the very start of the whole anthem protesting. They had the first game that week, the one in London early in the morning. There were some fans who were enraged by that, quite honestly. And the team kind of middling along and missing the playoffs again last year. There were a lot more empty seats in this stadium last year than they were used to having, and I think they acknowledged that. They've made some off-season efforts to fix that. Um, to be honest, it also doesn't hurt that the Orioles are horrible this year. So there is a little more vibe about this team now. Um, people are embracing it a little more than they were, say, nine months ago or eight months ago. But then the Steelers week comes along, and that's how people refer to it. It's Steeler week. That's how people call it. So I definitely think there's still juice to the rivalry in the town. And I think the team – is worry, working on winning back a fan base that has been, I don't know if I would say disenchanted, but a little more apathetic than it's been in the past several years. So that's part of it. But there's no question that there's a little, there's still, like I said, there's still juice to this rivalry um, going into this week. You go back a decade in both of these teams, 2008, it was a sweep by the Steelers, but every game was close, and both defenses were so good, and every blade of grass was being defended. And really, after 2010, it's kind of like the Steelers forgot how to play defense. Obviously, there's a rebuild there, and there's a lot going on. But the Ravens still have a good defense. It's tough to in the NFL anymore, but what do they do well? And it seems like it gives them an opportunity to win every single week. They're, they do. They pride themselves on defense. It's been their cornerstone. Um, they make no bones about it. And if they face some criticism, it has been the fact that over the years, they have poured resources into their defense in drafting, in free agency, at the expense of not getting better receivers for Joe Flacco or not drafting receivers high in the draft or whatever it might be. Defense has been the calling card of this team since they basically drafted Ray Lewis in the first draft. Um, and so the defense is consistently good. What do they do well? Well, they try to rush the passer. Obviously, they still have Terrell Suggs, who is basically timeless. He's 36 years old, and he still, last year, still played 90% of the team snaps or something. Um, they are solid. I wouldn't say that they're improving in the secondary, but again, Jimmy Smith, probably their number one cornerback, is out for a four-game suspension. And they have had notable trouble when he has missed games. Um, they did against Cincinnati. They did last year. He Last year, the game in Pittsburgh was the first game he missed with a torn Achilles. He wasn't there when Roethlisberger threw for 500 yards. Um, but it's a defense that uh, you know, touts itself on rushing the passer. They want to get after him from the outside and from the inside. Um, 
I, they've got some questions this week, though. C.J. Mosley, their starting mm. inside linebacker, probably their best, most complete defensive player, missed the game last week after getting a bone bruise in his knee against Cincinnati. He practiced this week. I suspect he might be playing, but I don't think he's at 100%. Terrell Suggs is a little bit banged up. Um, Jimmy Smith is suspended. Those are three of their top defensive players, and they all have questions or will be out this week. So um, those are all major concerns. But to your point, it is a team that has consistently anchored itself on their defense, and there isn't that hasn't changed. They pride themselves on it, and they build their team around it. If the Ravens stall out at the 50-yard line, they're kicking a field goal? I don't know. Justin, that's a long way behind field. No, even Justin Tucker will tell you that's one of the hardest places to kick, but he is as good a weapon as a team can have. I mean, he has made now eight straight kicks from outside 50 yards. Um, they don't hesitate for a minute to give it to him. Um, and, I, you know, when you watch all the kicking struggles around the league, and I know they've had them in Pittsburgh as well, um, it is – it's a significant edge. Usually, this team is. Usually, this team has the edge in special teams play. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Basically, because of Tucker and Sam Cook's a good punter too. But Tucker is—he's an offensive weapon. And when you can consistently know you can make a field goal from 50, 52, 53 yards, you know that's a that is significant. You say the Steelers special teams uh, usually not as good as the Ravens in these games. Well, unless Mike Tomlin runs out on the field and they put that extra defender out there, that can certainly help. Uh, Bo- well, that didn't that didn't hurt that day. I'll give you that. Um, but you know, it's, it, it comes down to it's funny because last week against Denver, the Ravens had two kicks blocked, which is almost unheard of for this organization. They had a punt blocked when there was just a whiff on protection, and then they had a field goal blocked, which remains kind of controversial because the Broncos player hurdled the line in a, in a way that the Ravens strongly felt should not have been legal, and I happen to agree with them on that. Um, but they had two kicks blocked, which you never really see. Um, but it is still a pretty solid special teams unit. They cover well. Uh, Sam Cook's a veteran punter, and, of course, I think Tucker is probably the best kicker in the league. Bo, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I know you're heading out to the Orioles game tonight, so soak that one in, have a nice time, and uh, we'll talk soon maybe. All right, take care. Thanks a lot. That's Bo Smolka. He covers the Ravens for Press Box. Uh, really good stuff there from him, uh, including insights into the way that Baltimore looks at the rivalry now. Uh, it is a little bit different than it used to be. There's no question about it. Maybe a lot a bit different than it used to be, but it still gets me fired up. It's taking me down memory lane. Uh, well, the stuff that I do remember when I wasn't completely inebriated. Coming up next, more on Steelers-Ravens, plus we make fun of Tom. It's Crowley Show.